Welcome back to your favorite contracts podcast. This is Tess Wilkinson-Ryan and Dave Hoffman at the University of Pennsylvania. And today we're talking Webb versus McGowan. Will McGowan's estate be true to their promise to support Webb for life? Let's get started. All right. Welcome back. So today we're doing Webb versus McGowan, um, an Alabama case from 1930s. Um, and I'm going to give the facts of Webb, but I think that maybe I will also give the facts of the common comparator case for Webb, which is Mills versus Wyman. Um, Mills versus Wyman happening in a different century in a different state. So nonetheless, um, they have a lot, they have enough in common that we can talk about them. Okay. So Webb versus McGowan um, is the case of um, Joe Webb is suing the estate of his longtime employer, um, Greeley McGowan. The reason he's suing is because, uh, because Joe Webb was an employee at this lumber mill and his job, part of his job involved throwing large blocks of lumber from upstairs to downstairs. I do find it hard to imagine how this would be like OSHA approved or whatever, but that was part of it. I mean, his job was to clean the upper floor of the mill in the most... Uh, Efficacious. I, I was going to say the most, the most guy, the most guy way possible. Like, I don't know what we should do. Let's sweep the floor off the side of the building. It's like when I used to sweep like the the floor growing up, I would sweep everything under the fridge because, of course, that's the place that like it no longer is visible. It doesn't exist there. It doesn't exist there. It doesn't exist there. Yeah. No, that seems right. Um, okay, so. While so engaged, as the court says, he was in the act of dropping a pine block from the upper floor of the mill to the ground below. The pine block was very heavy, 75 pounds. In, in 1935 pounds. <laughs> and I have to say, I've always found the physics of this a touch confusing. It's so amazing. I love every part of it. This is the real loss of the socially distant classroom because you can't do this particular thing. Um, I used to have them pretend to be riding the pine block down mm. the steps i'm like it never makes any sense it doesn't make any sense i also that what you just said also doesn't make any sense i was like what would possibly happen in a classroom so i'm just gonna like glide right over it yeah well <laughs> yeah, but, all right i can say more but okay so what what actually so what happened he's, okay okay he's so throwing he's, the, so pine, he's block throwing the pine block basically realizes as let's imagine let's let's assume for the sake of verisimilitude because otherwise it doesn't make tons of sense that he's it's, it's still in his hands but because but he's and he starts to realize that when he lets go, it's going to hit his boss, possibly killing him. His boss is below him. His boss is below him exactly. Correct. So what he does basically so is not is, let go. Well, he he could have imagine if we could, he could have said, "Boss, get out of the way." Yeah, no, that would have been a one way to do it. Or tally ho, danger! You don't even have to say boss. You can just say. Danger. Heads up. Heads Literally, <laughs> heads up is what you would say. He took a different path. He threw himself on the block, thus diverting the pathway 
did not hit the boss, but did harm himself greatly. Yeah. The reason why this is fun in the non-socially distant law school classroom is you're like, so can you explain to me? You, you make that a backpack, the, 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 the block, and then you say, like, what was your theory here of how you were going to, like, change <laughs> the block's trajectory after you've jumped off the building with it? <laughs> like, a real Batman-like moment. <laughs> and so he gets hurt, but yes. the boss doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's actually a very, like, a very sort of a proto-trolley problem, Right. He divert. He throws himself on the track to divert the trolley. Is that what the trolley problem? I've never really been able to hold on to the details of the problem. Is that what happens? Well, there's so. Your- that's what's so great about it is actually there's there's at this point probably a hundred iterations, maybe more of the trolley problem, and one of them would be that you would like. Um, purse you well. It's actually they actually are um, pretty offensive. Okay, yeah. So let me. So moving right along. McGowan is very grateful because his life has been saved. And, and Webb is very injured. He's got a. And Webb is very injured. Yes. Right. Yes. Badly crippled for the, re- for the rest of his life and rendered unable to do physical or mental labor. Oh, or mental labor. Oh, I didn't realize. Um, but so basically, McGowan agreed that he was going to care for um, Webb um, and pay him $15 every two weeks. But McGowan then died. And his estate... $15 to every two weeks for, um, for Webb's life. For Webb's life. That's right. That's right. Basically, he's going to pay him a salary for the rest of his life, even though, even though he wasn't going to be doing work anymore. Or, or you could think of this as, like, there's no workers' compensation There's no system. workers' comp. That's right. Not yet. Um, workers' comp comes online, obviously, after the case in Alabama. And so you could just think of it as the employer agrees, we're going to yep. pay you workers' comp, because it's not required under the law. The question is whether or not it's legally binding to make that promise. Right, because we have right because we have a consideration problem. What's our right? consideration problem? <laughs> Thank you for asking. McGowan appears to have made a promise that's basically a gift promise, right? He basically says, "I, I feel very grateful to you, and as a reflection of my gratitude." I would like to pay you, I promise to pay you this money over time. You don't have to do anything, Webb. You just sit tight. I'm so sorry this terrible thing has happened to you. And now, as my gift to you, I would like to pay you. I mean, it's the technical thing is it's a timing problem. So he makes the promise after Webb has done the act. So therefore, he couldn't have been induced that is to say, McGowan couldn't have been induced to promise by virtue of Webb's counter promise to save him because he promises after. That's not how time after. works. That's yeah. not how time works. Yeah. I think we all understand that had Webb been able to freeze time as he's about to jump onto the block mm. and, and look down at McGowan and said, how about if I promise to jump on this block, thereby diverting its physical course in return for your counter promise to take care of me for the rest of my life? McGowan would have said, yes, I do make that promise. And then we would have consideration. We, just have a, we would have maybe a different set of questions about that contract, which would be, is it duress, basically? Or is there some defense to McGowan's obligation that, are, that comes by virtue of, like, we don't want to enforce promises that occur when people are, like, in bodily danger. But it, there would be consideration in that, in that scenario. 
Yeah. And you can think about this as being something, this, this consideration problem. So I think that, so I was, I mean, I was being sort of intentionally leading by talking about it as just, as just a gift. Um, Because of course the case is really going to take seriously the question about whether or not there's some way to sort of rehabilitate the consideration here. But the time, you know, and so you want to describe time as being like a sort of a technicality or whatever. Or a flat circle. What? (laughs) There's going to be some people on this podcast who are going to really like that joke. And the fact that you don't is okay. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Mm, That's not, that's actually like, like what's like damning with faint praise, but for validation. That's (laughs) the faintest validation I can imagine. So, (laughs) but so time, I don't think it's quite right to describe time as being sort of a te- the technical problem here, because of course time's always the technical problem. Like it happens all the time that what we're doing with gifts is doing this like social reciprocity thing, right? I am grateful to you. And so I'm giving you a gift, right? This happens to, you know, if I give a gift to my children's babysitter, if I give a gift to right a neighbor who has, if I bring, I don't know what I would, if I bring bread, as a thank you to what you get the idea. Okay. But that, so those are as a thank you to a neighbor for sort of taking in my trash cans one day. That's sure. That's a timing question sort of, but actually it has, it's just part of a different set of, it's part of a different set of rituals. Right. And that's, and gifts are often going to be motivated by a sense of, uh, by sense of gratitude and reciprocity. Okay. So, so just to, yeah, I think we traditional consideration doctrine. This that is mutual inducement. This case isn't it. That's right. And I agree with you that the case then wants to find some way to make it an enforceable bargain. Yep. By calling the thing that happened consideration. Yep. But I, like, no student listening to this should think that this is anything other than like a real motivated attempt. Yep. To make this person who's been crippled by virtue of their actions on the job yep somehow whole um and 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 we all agree the promise happened so if one of the worries we have about consideration is that like we really want to make sure the thing happened because usually it would be done through like an executory document here we we really know that this thing happened so the court's going to want to find a way to make it work and and they do so I can't remember if in your if in this book it's called if you if you're calling this moral consideration are you calling it that we don't call ooh it. obligation arising from promises for benefit received that's the name of this section it really flows off the tongue I, we're poets okay. <laughs> I think <laughs> poet warriors of contract law I think is really the way to think about this yes mm, that's, that's exactly okay. right all right well so. I typically talk about it as being a question about moral consideration and moral consideration is basically a loser of a, of a, of a construct. But the idea of it would be you have two compelling contract like things going on. You have one thing, which is that someone owes someone else. So the idea here is that, um, McGowan owes Webb. Like we all actually, kind, I think we all kind of agree. Like you owe him, you owe him money now, or you owe him something. You don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I would like to be a little bit more precise about why you think that. I mean, that 
It's not because he saved him and got hurt. No, I do think that. But but I know I'm coming to the other part though. But hang on, there's number. Two. I'm doing. I'm going to do a plus oh, sign and then go to the next oh, piece. Oh please, okay. Then I'll, like I I'll guess I. On. So I do. So I guess so. Contract law does not enforce your implicit moral obligations. Obviously, the fact that my the fact that I have repeatedly taken advantage of my neighbor who keeps bringing my trash cans up to my stoop does not mean that I owe him anything. But we kind of might agree that like morally, I kind of owe some kind of reciprocity to this neighbor, right? So there's this moral, obli- there's this moral yeah. obligation, plus, let me, let me do the plus. Yeah, yeah please. Which, which, which has no legal bite, <laughs> which has no legal bite. And then you have this uh, promissory declaration that says, I actually acknowledge that I owe you this thing and I promise I'm going to do it. I acknowledge that you keep bringing my um, trash cans up onto my stoop and off the sidewalk. And I promise that I'm actually going to do that for you next month. So both of those things have some amount of moral force, but neither of them is, is, is enforceable as a contract. And so some of what's going on in these cases is like an attempt to be like, well, what if you have both? If you have both, then can you make it a contract? Okay, now, sorry, now I'm done. One of our listeners suggested that one of our argumentative techniques is a rope-a-dope technique, which is basically, I take it like you just let the other person exhaust themselves with their arguments, and then they're like, well, I guess you're right. Still, wait, that's not what A now rope is, I don't think, is it? Yes. Wait, what? That's what rope it up is. Uh, it's basically you're just like, uh, go ahead, punch at me. Uh, and then <laughs> as, as soon as you're like kind of exhausted. Just to be clear, that was not punching you. you. I don't think you particularly disagree with that. Okay, let me say, let me say a couple of things. So first of all, that is, so like I agree with you that that is what moral consideration or promise for benefit received is about, which is there's some obligation which the law doesn't quite recognize and then there's some explicit promise about that obligation and if you put those two together you know they add to be more than the sum of their parts and that's restatement 86 restatement second 86 um, which is in our book following the case or well following the pace which is a promise made in recognition of a benefit previously received is binding to the extent necessary to prevent injustice um, it's not binding if it was intended as a gift, if the promisee conferred the benefit as a gift, or to the extent that the value is disproportionate to the benefit. So they're trying to sort of crawl back a little bit on the intuition. Now, I guess one worry I have about the idea that, that McGowan owes, like in the common sense understanding of owes, the, 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 yeah. folk, the folk theory of owing, a, a lot in the case turns on, for me, turns on McGowan being Webb's employer. A lot of the owing. Yeah, okay, yes, yeah. So all I really yeah, wanted I'm to with say, yeah, yes. all I wanted to say is that like, if McGowan was just a random stranger, yeah. there's, there's a word, I, I mean, you know, or if you're passing by the, the if, you're, if, you, if you are drowning and someone is running by the river trail and saves and, and tries to save you. Yeah. Like, there might be circumstances where you would feel indebted to that person, obviously. Like, you would feel in some ways indebted. But if they got hurt trying, it's not obvious that you would owe them in the same way. If 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 someone else is trying to say you or if you felt like it, the, the help had been thrust upon you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have no, to – part is of a, it is I want to be like yeah. really – that's what I was trying to say earlier. The precision is McGowan is Webb's employer and – 
if he had died, Webb would have been economically in trouble. And Webb knows this. Webb is trying to sort of, and there's a commercial relationship between the two of them where Webb is ordinarily paid to do things for McGowan. Yep. And all of that makes the owing feel clear. Clear. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, how, right, I it's, in some ways it's like a perfect, it's a perfect storm of, of non-contractual owing, which is of course what the case is ultimately going to say basically. Right? right. But so the, and part of it is that it was successful. Right. Right. Part of it was that, that, I mean, that's the right part of it is that McGowan, McGowan gets saved, Webb gets hurt and they're an employer and employee. And it All was, un, and it was an unambiguously, unambiguously the, 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 there's no question in this case that this is what um, McGowan would have wanted. Or do you, you, you I mean, think that like if I was McGowan, I would have said, couldn't, it would have been better if you had just warned me. And, and I know the counterfactual is hard, but like, imagine Webb yeah. just shouted down, watch out. Look, yeah. look, heads up, as you said. And, and McGowan manages to jump out of the way. Can McGowan sue? And, and McGowan then says, I'll promise you $100 for warning me. And then, he, and then he walks away from the promise. Can Webb sue for that act of warning? Again, same idea, which is that the, there has been a, there is an owing and there is a promise recognizing the owing. But like we feel probably like a little bit less good about um, enforcing that owing because we don't have the perfect constellation of stuff. Webb being hurt, McGowan yeah. being saved, and there's and, and that's what the case says, as you say. Like the case is like there's a physical injury, and there's a recognition through the promise, and all of those things are necessary. Now the law doesn't always say that. The law doesn't say all the things are necessary, but like. One question you have leaving the case is, do you need web set of facts in order to get yeah, it? In order to get this. Yeah. yeah no, I, yeah, yeah, it's harder. So, and I guess I'm in, I guess I envision a, I, my guess is that the incentives for web are so strongly to not put himself in grave bodily danger that I'm assuming that if he had other options that, that I don't have, I don't see anything in the case that makes me think that this was a foolish choice or that whatever I I'm envisioning that there's a certain amount of chaos that it's loud in there that you yeah, can't man, just be yelling. stuff. I mean, I don't know if it's a lumber thing. It's like saws are going, you know, like I'm just thinking of something that's more, um, I mean, do you have, do you, not, have main, do you have main experience on this issue to bring to bear? Thank you for asking, but no, no, well, I'll think about it. Okay. <laughs> I will say that my parents certainly refer to the people who cut the beams of their house by their first names still. Yeah. Like, there's still people that who... almost yes. is a helpful fact. I mean, <laughs> close to helpful, not 100% helpful. Listen, you didn't ask how you use... Okay. All right. But so, so speaking of these... Um, speaking of the... Um, whether or not you need to have all the facts. So we have a possibly also compelling set of facts that goes the other way. Before we do Mills, let's just make sure we get on this particular case. Oh, yeah. The reason why the case, the court comes away, it does is it says there is a pass. There is a, an owing that has a physical, tangible piece to it. Um, which like is a very key thing for this, for this court. For this court. Of, yes. No, here we go. Ready? Yeah. I'm going to read the rule. Yeah. 
169. Uh, where the promisee cares for, improves, and preserves the property of the promisor, though done without his request, it is sufficient consideration for the promisor's subsequent agreement to pay for the service because of the material benefit received. Right. So it's kind of an interesting rule, which I think we'll come back to, but it's an interesting rule because the rule actually sounds a little blander than the facts. Yeah. Like cares for and improves the property of the promisor. Right. Because of the material benefit received. That sounds like it could be like, you know, I like brought your trash cans up to your stoop. So the, the way that I've always thought about this is, is this past consideration is like unjust enrichment plus a promise. And so unjust enrichment, sort of the non-contractual quasi contract theory of recovery, which is that, you know, even in the absence of consent, if there's been a benefit that's been conveyed to the, the, the suing party under circumstances where we feel like it's unfair for the non for the, for the, 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 the receiving person to keep it, uh, then we allow the, the, the person who conveyed the benefit to get some compensation. Here we've got that, a material benefit conveyed, plus a promise. And yep. the promise recognizes the existence of the debt. And so, and the court says, and it's been, and it's material because there's this physical sort of yep. change in status. Okay. And that's the holding of the case. So that's, a, and like, I think we understand why the court wanted to get there. The courts are super motivated to get there. Um, it doesn't say anything about inducement. It doesn't talk about the hypothetical burden the parties could have had. It doesn't say any of those things. It just goes right to the, the gist. Right. Sorry. Right. No, and you can think about the fact that the, the outcome here is so compelling, it becomes literally a state and national system of workers' comp. Right. Right. This, I mean, this is like, this, the outcome is, yeah, our, our intuitions are overdetermined here. Right. And if you were like on a law school exam, you'd want to take one thing out at a time and say like, what if they're not employer employee? What if he didn't get hurt on the way down? What if it turned out that he was never, that the McGowan was never going to get hurt because not, and Webb didn't know it, but McGowan had a helmet on. Thank you. A helmet on. A helmet on that looked like hair. Yes, exactly. I can see why you're known to be a master Socratic teacher. A helmet on that looked like hair from above. So good. What if like a Lego, what, like a Lego hair? What what if the promise that recognizes the debt is oral and not in writing? And so we're worried about whether it was really made really? and the only person yes. testified. So what, these are all facts that like this is super overdetermined, as you say. Now let's go to a less overdetermined case. Well, I don't even know if it is less determined. Oh my, my opinion on this is one of the ones my opinion changes on every year. Oh wow! Okay, well then let's see where we are in twenty twenty. The best year of all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mills versus Wyman. So okay, all right. So Mills versus Wyman has similar structure in the sense that there is a benefit conferred, and then a promise to um, to um, ratify that benefit with by paying for it so the benefit conferred is that um levi wyman was in hartford connecticut and grew and was sick and he was right yeah i think that the the way i um he was returning from a voyage on i think like the pequot and you're making that up that's from moby dick i know (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I mean, we, it could be like peerless. A lot of stuff could be called peerless. Right. I mean, no, but isn't All it right. much more pleasant to think of this? I mean, Moby Dick, com- Moby Dick comes from the right port. So it's very pleasant to think of him as coming back from a whaling trip in which he had a run-in, unfortunately, with a whale. And he comes back to Hartford. Why are you giving me looks? This is exactly Because I'm assuming he basically had something like dysentery. It's all about epidemics for you. It's not dysentery. <laughs> he has a whale tooth in him because he, <laughs> he, he, he oh, harpooned really? the whale with his last dying breath. Oh, he, goodness. No, but oh, he did live, just to be clear. Well, it's unclear. Well, it's clear. In There's the later of, records of him doing any number of things. So. <laughs> in, a case, in a case, it feels like he dies. It does feel like he dies. Yes. So he, okay. He, but he, so he, he got just, t- just, just if you fine. would. Just pretend like, I mean, I think it's the case is better if he is a member of the Pequot's crew. <laughs> it's called the Pequot, not the Peapod, right? He would have been like the one kid in junior England who liked Moby Dick. <laughs> would I have been? I mean, like every other chapter of that book is really good. It's just the chapters I'm yelling that are a little bit boring. Oh, my God. Um, would I this was... be better for his Jane Austen thing? Yes. He, he was a, a member of a ship that went away. And was talked about incessantly for 400 pages. Yeah, exactly. By his potential love interests. And there you go. Okay. All right, listen. The point is that Levi gets nursed back to health by yes. Wyman. I'm sorry, by Mills. By Levi Mills. Wyman gets nursed back to health by Mills. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wyman hears of this. Father Wyman hears of this and writes a letter saying to Mills saying, I understand you have been taking care of my son and I am very grateful for it. I'm going to pay you now. I promise. Even though of course the father, the, the son's an emancipated, he's 25 years old. And yeah, no, yeah, longer yeah. Part of the, no longer part of the father's family. He doesn't have to do anything like this. He has no, he doesn't owe legally the, the Mills and anything. No, okay. that's right. So but no, it'd be like if my parents did something like that. Basically. I understand you've been very kind to my daughter. I'm going to pay you when I get to Philadelphia. So grateful. Right. Yeah, I'm so grateful. I and then he keep, I, hear, I hear you keep bringing up her... Trash. Tra- guys, the trash situation, the sanitation situation in Philadelphia right now is, is quite urgent. That's not a... It's, yeah. Um, it's on everyone's minds here in my neighborhood. Um, okay. So this court... Just to be clear, so then he walks away from the promise. Oh yeah, he walks away from the promise. Yes. Right. Now, um, this court has um, has some of my favorite language in it, actually. Actually, but um, basically says, if you want us to recognize this subsequent promise to pay, you need to be basically reinvigorating or re. So when you bring about something back to life, Lazarus. No. Anyway, you need to be. You need to be. Frankenstein. Ah, uh, stop! No. You need to be ratifying some old, enforceable deal. Okay. So, if what had happened was the statute of limitations had passed on a former deal you two had, fine. Your subsequent promise to pay can bring that back to life. Reincarnate. Yeah. Reincarnate. Thank you. I know you could have said that earlier. I just chose not to. <laughs> if um, if there was like bankruptcy, if there if your debts had been discharged in bankruptcy, and you then claimed, no, actually, I'm going to pay, that would count. But none of those things happened. 
what you had in the first case was a promise with no consideration and now you have a promise with no and now you have a promise to sorry what you had in the first place was uh basically a gift and now you have a promise to um to pay for the gift you received in the past that's not consideration what they say is this is the voluntary revival or creation of an obligation which before existed in natural law Mm. but which had been dispensed with not for the benefit of the party solely obliged but principally for the public convenience if moral consideration in its fullest sense is not is a good substratum for an express promise it's not easy to perceive why it is not equally good to support an implied promise what a man ought to do generally he ought to be made to do whether he promise or refuse then here's the big line from the case but the law of societies left most such obligations to the interior forum i love this as the tribunal of conscience has aptly has been aptly called so maybe if you love it so much you could tell us what it means what the interior forum means like what that whole thing means well the idea is take it up with their conscience basically i mean it is what a man ought to do generally he ought to be made to do whether he promise or refuse but the law of society has left most of such obligations to the interior forum as the tribunal of conscience has been aptly called is there not a moral obligation upon every son who has become affluent by means of the education advantages bestowed upon him by his father to relieve that father from pecuniary embarrassment to promote his comfort and happiness and even to share with him his riches if thereby he will be made happy and yet that son can do whatever he wants this, I can see why you like this. This literally sounds like Jane Austen. I mean, it does, exact, right? It does, exactly right? Jane you Austen. can just, it basically says like, look, there's a whole bunch of things that we let people do that are definitely bad. There are all kinds of ways that in families, you might think, oh, you might think that people owe one another. And, and indeed, if you think about them, if, about, I mean, so the thing about the, about the, um, the affluent son, right? There are, there, there are jurisdictions, not U.S. jurisdictions, but there are jurisdictions in which that's right. Where the, the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania actually has rules that you owe your old elderly pa- parents, like oh, your secondary so care. Like yeah, uh, no, you owe you owe some of their their living expenses if they oh. sort of become des- if they become destitute. Great. See. So I mean, I take it the case basically says if if the son was under the age of eighteen. Yep. Then easy call. Easy call. And if there was some reason that the son was otherwise dependent, dependent under legal obligation, you know, the son had some disability by which the law yeah. had affirmatively placed obligation on the father to continue to care. Easy call. And what if they had a relationship where the son was still supported at age 25, as hard as it is to imagine, in some financial way by the father? Not because the law required that but because that's just the nature of their thing. They help paid for school. They help paid for housing. And so well, like, and how many of us were on our parents' health insurance until we were 26? Right. Right. So, that, so the question I've always had about the case is, like, if the parties have taken on obligations that the law doesn't, don't, doesn't um, recognize as required, do the, does that social fact affect the result in the case is the case really because this Levi Wyman and Seth Wyman were really independent of each other before he went on his whaling trip. Wait, say that again. Like you think maybe the outcome here has to do with the court 
with with sort of an implicit determination by the court that these people do not actually owe one another at some at some in some base way. I just am not sure. Like I, I've tried. I mean, I, I also go back and forth on these cases over the years. Like the case doesn't say the case says basically, you know, unless you have an affirmative public legal duty, you, as you said, bankruptcy, statute of limitations, a pre-existing real legal duty, yep. then you then you can't make it real by virtue of the 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 express later arriving promise. But I've wondered whether or not what if, like the practice of these part, like the father picked up the kids' bills yep, for years before this. Yeah. What if it was, right. What if this was, yeah. I'm gonna, so wait, let me, let me just read what I think of this, yeah. the rule, which I think students find, I think the formulation of it's confusing, at least for okay, my yeah, students. Yeah. Seems, seems wise, yeah. The general position that the moral, that, sorry, I've already messed it up. The general position that moral obligation is a sufficient consideration for an express promise is to be limited in its application to cases where at some time or other a good or valuable consideration has existed. I can see why students are a little bit confused. By like, what? Wait, what, what? You just know what the general proposition is. Now you're saying it's not. Okay. So basically the court says, I know what you're saying. You, well, in this case, you, um, Mills, is sometimes you have a promise and the fact that that promise is so morally right that, that the content of it is something that is a, is a moral obligation anyway. And you think that therefore you should, you should enforce this. It's not just like a regular gift. You're promising to do something you 100% should have been doing anyway. And the court says, listen, no, that's not the rule. What the rule is only when that moral obligation comes from an underlying good or valuable consideration. So basically you can't use the morality to get out, to, to, to um, back out of the consideration requirement. So have you taught this case as expressing a different rule than Webb or the same rule as Webb, but with a different answer or different facts on the same rule producing different answers? I think those are the three. Different facts, different rules different answers. I'm not sure that these courts wouldn't actually agree with each other. That, so that's, that's right. So like, let's just imagine applying the Mills rule to Webb. Yep. Okay. So the Mills rule says the moral obligation sufficient consideration is to be limited in its application to cases where at some time or other, a good or valuable consideration has existed. I mean, it's a little hard, right? Because it's not, this is not going to be a perfect fit. So you have to wonder how, how to, to what extent this court is going to stick to its guns, right? But so the idea is you have an employment relationship. So you do an have an agency. exchange relationship. An, an agency relationship where the agent owes the principal something. A duty of loyalty. Really? Yeah. Like, you don't think that we owe Ted Ruger, like if he's about to slip on a piece of ice, like... Dear Dean Ruger, don't slip as a fiduciary application of our job. As humans? No, not as humans. As lawyer humans. What? That's a weird way to think about work. (laughs) (laughs) You have to do that for everybody. Uh, for everybody who would want you to do that for them. Okay, but that might be true, but the law would only, 
I mean, for most people, that would be just that would left to the interior form. But with respect to your 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 principle, the agent owes the principal a duty of care and loyalty, a, a duty of fidelity. Well, I don't think that that's wh- whose agents and whose principles. If I, I think I'm would, an agent of Amy Gutman. Yes. <laughs> I do think you're an agent of Amy Gutman. Now, like, you're not an agent in the way a corporate officer is, but... I feel really sorry about this thing. I just... <laughs> I'm learning that. <laughs> this is always a question about, like... This is a question, I mean, as a very small aside, faculty have this view about they get to write and say everything, which, of course why not academic freedom but it's it is in tension with the idea that we are also employees of a place if we were regular employees of a place there like the the legal duties that agents owe their principles are in tension with some of the free speech norms that we have as sort of just ordinary citizens in society let alone the special super souped up free speech norms that faculty have as privileges as a part of their employment relationship. It's all complicated. However, I do think that there is something about Webb and McGowan where Webb might have owed something to McGowan. Yep. And 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 that, he and that if, if, right. if he stealed from if he stole from him, he both would be liable for theft and he would be liable for an agency breach, breach of the agency relationship. Okay. If he was careless on the job, yes, he, no, yeah, and yes. so that's that's the. Yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah. the way, that, and that would be the way to sort of work this Mills argument is that is that Webb Webb's action was more like Webb's action was more like a legally sort of right. significant he had, thing he had to do. I mean, he I mean, maybe he didn't, but like that's the idea. Well, I guess the other, but the other way to get there would have been would be to say that there was an implied contract. Yeah, because. There's just, everybody would just a hundred would just agree to this. Like they just that's the the implied contract here being like life saving life saving services for your employer. Well, remember that but, case though. Yeah, but that's important because for your employer means no. It's I paid. know. No, I no, I know. But I'm trying to think about like life saving service. I know you both used to teach this case where the guy got the hit by the street. The doctor, yeah, the doctor, yeah, the doctor so that someone gets hit by a streetcar and yep. doctor comes and gives him CPR. Yep. And, and the court says like, yeah, it was weird because the, also the patient died, but the court said the doctor is owed his normal rates. Because he's a doctor, because he was brought right. to him okay, during sure, office hours. Sure, sure. But I'm just saying like, there's a lot of things. It seems to me that if you're the implied contract can actually I've had like a lot of classes go wrong on this because it, it does take a long time and often doesn't really work very well. But like in the non-socially distant classroom, um, you can have people pretend to be drowning and then have someone else pretend to go rescue them and say like, do you think you're owed money during the rescue? And of course, if you had this hypothetical negotiation, you might pay, but it's, 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 yeah. uh, I mean, we're, we're like, what if you're stopped on the side of the road? Someone gives your car a jump and then they ask for money. It feels different if they have a a garage tag on their truck than yeah. if they don't. Yeah, no, that's right. Because we I have mean, these intuitions. And if your neighbor repeatedly brings the trash up, yeah, and you know, 
and they're neighbors, you don't owe them anything. But, you know, if they're like um, a person who has on their, their clothing, like I do things for money, like I, I'm a, you know, what's the, what is the name of those, the junk guys? Task rabbit? Oh, Task 1-800-junk? 100 junk if they're wearing sort of the uniform of people who are paid to move things around for you and you watch them do it yeah you've implicitly agreed to pay and but that's the way okay that but the way that that the way that money the way that so so you're describing a bunch of things that are sort of in line with the with the with the um you get paid because this is what your job is. I do think it's the case, though, that if there is a loss that's obviously associ- that's that's obviously associated with the service, that, enti- that sometimes that's going to count. So if someone pulls over to help me um, um, fix a uh, flat tire, and um, it they and while fixing my flat tire, they break the tire iron that fills <laughs> yeah I mean, sure master right. socratic so far master socratic so far, yes <laughs> they break the the jack that jacks the car up that's more likely to break than a tyrant um that feels that like the right thing to do there is to offer to pay for their broken jack and if they and if you don't and they sue you you think that you maybe get recovery no if i also said oh yeah but if you didn't oh if i didn't know no, no. What's hard about the case for me is, I guess my theory of, of web is it, it's not necessary, on my theory of web, it might not have been necessary for McGowan to promise anything. Like my view is like- Right, right. right. And, and, so, and right. so my theory of web right. maybe proves too much under, saying, under the- I see, under, and, you say, and you say, therefore, in that case, then it, then it starts to look like a pretty good fit for even a Mills court. Exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Okay, can I say why I think that the- material benefit rule under in web ought to create recovery well so let me know yeah. let, me, let me say why let me say why i think that court thinks that that there shouldn't be recovery in mills but then when i say i i'll say why yeah. I think it's okay so that court says when you offer to pay for your grown son's medical care you haven't your property hasn't been preserved mm-hmm. you have not materially benefit you might feel a little bit happier because your kid's healthy but like that's not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about some, we're talking, not talking about like warm glow type stuff here. We're talking about like you have been enriched. And of course, there are times in which enrichment comes from humans being healthier, like in Webb versus McGowan, right? We need and McGowan has to McGowan's life has value to his company and his family, et cetera. But your kids, but the, but um, Wyman's son does not provide, Ryman's son's improved health is not a material benefit to him, to that court. And I think I go back and forth on this year to year, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a position, stick to it. This is a super weird way. That would be a, the, the way that the courts are kind of, I think the courts here are kind of potentially blowing off or, or dismissing an important fact of sort of family relationships, which is that actually for a lot of parents, the health of your adult child is, you know, paramount. You do almost anything, right? This is, this is a, almost as urgent as your own health. 
that's what I would. Um, and so and therefore, so there is a, and so therefore, the material benefit. It's not just about sort of like a, I feel the warm glow that someone in the world feels better. It's like my life is going to be terrible if this child is hurt. And I don't know how to think about materiality that way. I'm not like a torts person, but, but like that's a, but it's a true loss, right? It's a, yeah. it's, th that loss is real and would, and you would trade a ton of money for it to, to uh, avoid it. I mean, so we, so uh, you think what, you're saying, preferences? what you're saying is that web, the web rule applied backward and sideways to McGowan, you think should result could possibly result in recovery yeah. even and you would just have to have like a little bit of a um a gauzier view of what material benefit than what they say in web but it's not like an implausible view which is that which is that material benefit should include like harm to people that really matter to you and not just to you i well, mean like here's the word you, also say, you go less gauzy right you go you go pure econ pure econ right you just say like, I, this is actually, I would pay a ton for this. What if it's your like namesake nephew? <laughs> no, because a lot of people say, and I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say who, a lot of people say that your nephews are like strangers to you so much so that you would, you, you, you would, you know, you would want to run some social experiment on them before you got to give them money for their 21st birthday. But, but here you're saying that your family member's health and happiness can be so important that it is, is, it is just like having your own foot be crushed. It is that. You would trade. Important. You would trade that. Trade. You would make that trade. And I just, the worry I have, and, and I'm, not, I'm not the kind of person who wants to cut off my family at, at any particular interval, is how do you know what the, what the dividing line is? So like the web rule seems to imply that if it's your like, spouse maybe it doesn't count it's unclear because material benefit might be really singular or it might be it might be limited at the like the nuclear family edge so long as the nuclear family is within the household is it nuclear 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 nuclear, nuclear. nuclear. yeah the nuclear no. family's edge yeah I'm very, yeah i'm gonna get that um there's like a homer simpson it's one of the few gifts I know. Which it says is, it's nuclear, nucle nuclear, son. It is nuclear. So the nuclear no. family's edge <laughs> is how far this web rule rolls. And that therefore the, the, the fact that this son is beloved, you know, in reality, you prefer to have damage to your own health than the son's health. The, the law just makes a line. The, and the, and the question I have is like, I don't, I totally agree with you. I mean, of course, like sociologically, you're hundred percent correct. Right. But like why Levi Wyman and not William story, the third, you know, why not? Because the incentives anyone? are not because, but if the, if the rule, if the idea is we're going to make it good consideration to offer to pay for the damages to anyone you love in a in like a bone deep way like a an expression i think you once told to me when i when we first i first had had kids was you were like the terrifying thing about having kids is it basically is like all of a sudden your heart is like outside of your body and sort of like traipsing around all day i don't think that was me but yes I think yes it was you. 
Oh, really? Yeah, and it was sort of like a really both graphically upsetting idea. It's sort of like, yeah, like, God, it was so much better when that was inside its ribcage because it was like pretty protected in there. But like, that thing traipsing around, like, it's, it's extremely <laughs> squashy. And so I totally, of course, agree that like children have that view. But, but, but like, so could, so in my theory of the case is William Story Sr. I mean, William Story Third. That, that uncle loved that son. And if that's the gist, is that contract law should, could, might uh, enforce past promises founded on bone deep love. I'm on, I'm on board with that, but, and I think you are too, but I, I, that's not Webb. That's not Webb and that's not Mills. That's not Webb and that's not Mills. The, I mean, it's not Hamer, it's not Hamer either. And, nope. and in part, it's my not, it's my, it's my theory of Hamer, but yeah. It's your theory of Hamer. Yes. But, which now po- people are buying. I, I, I people, no one, no one like has a person. Said. A person has bought it. <laughs> Unless you're then something like it's like a silent majority thing. Like, like no, it's not a silent majority thing. It's it's like there's a lot of asymptomatic buyers of my of my view of that case. They're not they're not they're not tested, so we don't know. Oh, I don't think we like this analogy. Metaphor is terrible. I can see you like it. The, I mean, okay. So if you take, if you if you if you sort of unwind both of these cases, and you say, what would these parties have all wanted before any of this happened? What regime would they have opted into? Yeah, smart. And for me, it's it is super clear that I want a regime that makes people believe that if I say I'm going to pay them for care to my kid, I'm going to pay them for care to my kid. So, I, And also that I believe that if my employee helps me, yeah. he's going to get paid. And, that's right. That's right. right. And so that's, I'm, I'm 100% on board. I've always loved that idea. But then of course, we've got Israeli daycares. What? Oh. Um, so just I, to spin that, spin yeah, that out for sorry. a second. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. I, although I'm sure most people listen to this podcast, no, listen to other podcasts. They listen to other podcasts, <laughs> all of which talk about Israeli daycares literally all the time. Um, the idea is there's a there's an experiment um, um, from Israel by Dan Ariely, um, and isn't it? Nope. No, it's nope. Uh, Yuri Gnizzi and Aldo Rustichini. I mean, I just feel so good that I didn't have to say yeah, yes. So yeah, okay. The experiment basically is there's a set of the world where the the as everyone knows it's hard to get to your kid to pick up on to pick them up on time. Extremely hard. It's really hard. Life gets in the way. You're recording a podcast, and so Israeli daycares had this rule: like pick up your. Gosh, well, it was an experiment. Yeah. It, yes, it was an experiment, but the, but the the prior set of the world was pick, pick up, up your, your kid, kid on time. Just do it. Pick up your yes. kid on time. Yes. And then the experiment came and changed that to, if you don't pick up your kid on time, here is the fee you're schedule. Going to, here's the fee schedule. Every five minutes, you're going to get charged X amount more. Yeah. And basically, people were more likely to pick up their kid late in the Pay fee the schedule fee. Yeah. world. And the, the experimenters suggest the right way to think about this effect is a crowding out effect. You had a social norm be timely and that social norm was displaced by this idea that other people are probably 
not going to be timely and I just have to pay. I'm just paying for more childcare. And this idea, the crowding out effect of social norms by monetary prices, when a fine is a price is the name of the paper, um, one might worry that if you lived in a world where your moral duties get replaced by things you ought to do, things you ought to do get replaced by a fee schedule, the interior tribunal gets replaced by an exterior court. It doesn't work as well because or yeah, or or it and it and it degrades the it degrades the interior forum as it were. It degrades the the moral rules such that now now you have all these in in all these like interstitial ways your moral moral norms are sort of smoothing the systems out, right? It, it's not better. good. Yeah. They, I mean, if, 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 if everyone was litigating every contract, the whole system would fall apart really fast. But a lot of them, keep go, you keep going in part because you have a view that you're obligated I, I morally. Mean, I mean, formal litigation doesn't work that well. It is undercompensatory and it under enforces like just by design like no one no one can live in a world and so because people know that they would start to game it they would say like well you know it's pretty unlikely that this is going to work out for me in this formal litigation system and so you just get less good behavior in a world where all behavior is enforced only through law and 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 if you don't have the i mean one of the one of the real things i believe about the world is that gossip is good is that like gossip because it one thing gossip does is it enforces moral norms. It, 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 it reinforces the idea of sort of like social cooperation by shaming people who are, at least it does in my particular world. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, yes, the, we could really unpack that <laughs> about what is the function of gossip in different social contexts. I think in the, in a law school where the gossip tends to be extraordinarily boring, <laughs> Like, it's like, I don't think you he see? even read the paper before he came to the appointments meeting. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the gossip I have in yes. mind. Like, I think, whereas I think a lot like, of, yes, teenagers you believe, might, yes. Right. Like, can you believe that this person's not prepping as much as they should over the summer? They are so lazy. That is the good gossip that I'm really thinking of here. And of course, a world where all of the sort of the social obligation that we have exists only through what it's what its legal meaning is in court, we all understand that to be a pretty bad world. And so I agree with you that like the parties in both Webb and in Mills, if you'd asked them beforehand, they'd prefer to live in a world where their promises are enforceable, but we want to be careful about taking seriously the idea that all promises must be enforceable. Okay. I am with you, but I'm going to make a draw distinction. I also want to suggest that I do that I do, I do. I know exactly what gossip does. I have also read the sociology on this. I do have concerns that gossip is a tool of social control for girls and women. So I'm just gonna, you know, just put a pin in that, as it were, just for. Put a pin. <laughs> for, That's a very interesting expression. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna actually more like put a pin in your balloon of enthusiasm about gossip. Hopefully, so <laughs> like if you think about who generally is getting okay. Um, but, but I'm also going to say... I, I have in mind there's a person <laughs> on our hallway who I think about. <laughs> the, the other thing I would say about the, sort of, about the sort of crowding out stuff is actually I think that 
it works in one some cases and not the others maybe in ways that, maybe the opposite way that you think they do or so the crowding out concern i think is very is real for hamer versus sidway like is it right that we want the courts to be enforcing these uh, these promises that i'll pay you to do the thing you already should have been doing in world in a world where it looks like maybe what that's was sort of like what you have there is an uncle trying to use money to do what he was what he could have done with like sort of avuncular you know uh supervision or whatever avuncular mentoring um but I'm, but i don't see the argument for that being a problem in something like mills versus wyman yeah. I don't think in Mills versus Wyman you have a crowding out problem. What you're saying is actually to other people who don't know me, I I'm I am telling you my I would like you I would like you to go ahead and assume that parents who promise to pay for care to their kid if 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 it was on the margins for you, yeah. You can't, it, you're, you're making this choice at a time when you don't know if the subsequent promise is coming, to be clear. So the incentive is a, is a little bit funky, right? You're still making the, you're still doing the care without, without knowing if you're going to get compensated. But you might, but the, but you might, the parents might prefer to have it be that there's a positive probability that they can be trusted. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. It's yes. I agree. Although yes, it's complicated because of course we might have the worry that like good Samaritans, which are the literal people right. for whom the crowding out theory is most often articulated yep. would be on the margin, like less likely to do the thing. If they're only doing the thing thinking that maybe one day they're going to have a rich parent come in there. Like if, if in fact what this is, is not good Samaritan, but like, you know, you optionality. Just, yeah, but you just worry about the feedback loop, right? You worry about what happens when when Mills does a thing to be kind, then gets a thank you letter that says I'm gonna pay you and then doesn't get paid. No, so I now agree. he feels like a sucker and now he doesn't he feels do like it a sucker. Next no, it feels like a sucker. You know? No, of course you're right. No, I, I, I agree I agree with that that framing. So we have two cases. The fun thing about the cases is that they appear to be doing the same thing and you can harmonize them if you want to. You can take the rules and make them work together. You can take the rules and make them not work together at all. And, or you can say like, actually the facts are so funky in yep. both cases that neither of them says much about the other. So yep. it's like a perfect law a great, school dyad. To, great way to play with facts here. Great, play with, great way to play with facts. And, 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 and we'll leave the question of whether gossip is like within law school faculty communities, a pro or social, anti-social thing for another, another.